Hi, my name is Kaylee Pasternak, alongside Nolan Hamilton. We are both the executive producers for Night Voices, and we're taking you along the best podcast of this month for Night Voices Episode 1. Starting out with my podcast, I interview two students about their lives with depression and walk you through what it's like for them. You know, there's one thing that all parents have in common, and that is that they worry about their kids. And number one, are they safe? That's right, or are they happy? But something alarming is happening with our children. More of them are being diagnosed with depression or anxiety. You may have had a bad day at school or even a bad mental health week, but for people with depression, they struggle with that feeling of melancholy their whole life. School psychologist Fator Jomnitska says, Obviously, we all have our ups and downs. Something happens, we have a more stressful week, we don't feel as good, and it's quite normal for our mood to change. Even um, throughout a single day, our mood can go up and down. When we're talking about depression as a clinical diagnosis, we're talking about a serious mental health condition. Clinical depression is a constant feeling of sadness and loss of interest, which stops you from doing normal activities, according to Better Health. It affects an estimated 16 million Americans, according to Healthline.com, with Cecilia McKay and Amy Kirkland being two of them. McKay has experienced depression from a very young age. I would see, like, um, other kids having fun, even, and, like, I wasn't feeling, like, the full extent of that, I guess. I felt like I was missing out on what other kids were doing. Kirkland started noticing her depression later on. More like freshman year, kind of into everything, transitioning into like high school and stuff, and just all the, I guess, kind of things that like go with that. But both got diagnosed with depression as soon as they started noticing their symptoms. We were um, on vacation at that point, and like I couldn't like get to a doctor at that point. Um, so for pretty much like a few weeks, I was just like. Um, in like a living hell honestly and then um when we got back um like we went straight to like um first it was just my regular doctor and then um she like um referred me to um a mental health place and then um they diagnosed me once like i knew like i had closure like this is why i'm feeling this way and then here's what you can do to make it better i think that definitely helped too just knowing how to be able to deal with it better and move on. And just like the differences in McKay and Kirkland's depression, everyone with depression shows different symptoms. Being in school and just kind of feeling alone, even though I know like I have like friends and stuff and just still feeling like there's nobody I could really talk to. Symptoms of depression can range from sadness to insomnia to even a change in appetite, according to Jimnitska. Sometimes I do struggle like um, with the feeling of pointlessness like I don't really know why I'm here like um, it kind of like gets in the way of schoolwork sometimes like um, like why am I doing this like there's no point to doing it and just like any other mental illness there are always good and bad days I feel like a bad day is more just kind of just wanting to be more alone and not really talk to anyone just like not really feeling too great about yourself Going for a quick walk with a family pet, doing some stretches in bed, and expressing yourself through music, drawing, or dance are some solutions, according to WebMD.com. If it is a bad day, just how to like try to make it turn it into a better one. I think that's really, 
you know, just like realize that it's okay. It's not going to last forever. Just try to talk with your friends and stuff, get your mind off things and it'll just keep improving. I feel like, um, I mean, there are good days and there are bad days. And like, um, if I'm having a really bad day, I like to tell myself, like, I've probably um, felt worse and I'll definitely feel better. Um, so, um, like, I just like ride the wave and then it like it always gets better. Seeking help from a licensed mental health professional is always a great way to help with your depression. If that seems daunting, even just opening up to a loved one will help you feel better. You're not alone. Like, even though it feels like it, there's a lot more people than you think that have issues with that stuff. And even other than depression, just like a lot of mental illnesses, you don't know how many people really struggle with it because most people don't really show that they have it. It's just more at home. And there's so many people that are always be here for you. And you can talk to a teacher or anyone, go to therapy, and it really does help. It'll help you get closure and just work on yourself more. And remember, if you are having or dealing with suicidal thoughts, please call 1-800-273-TALK, the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline, in order to get help. This is Kaylee Pasternak reporting for Night Voices. This next podcast by Joey Delahunty shows us something that you usually don't think about when playing video games, the music. In October 2020, a trend emerged online of students playing music from the racing game Mario Kart while studying in order to work faster. The quick pace and upbeat energy of the music encouraged speed and motivation to work. A report about the trend from gaming news site Polygon said that it's anxiety-inducing, and that's the point. Students were taking advantage of the trick that game developers have been using for decades, the soundtrack's power over the player. Music has been a part of video games since around the early 80s, and has generally evolved alongside the audio capabilities of consoles. Early game music was mostly what's now known as chiptunes, simple synthesized music that the game chips of arcade machines and early consoles could handle. The first big jump in audio hardware came with the release of the original PlayStation in 1995, which allowed for much more complex musical arrangements. This was probably made most clear by the epic orchestral soundtrack of Final Fantasy VII, composed by Nobuo Uematsu. In the modern day, game soundtracks can be as complex as those in any other medium, sometimes even more so due to their interactive nature. Much like in a movie or TV show, the soundtrack is one of the developer's most useful tools in trying to set a certain tone for the audience. However, unlike in other media, the audience of a video game is also the player, meaning they have much more effect than, say, a viewer of a movie. Because of this, music is an even more important tool in games, as it can act as a method to make sure the player is feeling the intended feeling. What that feeling is, of course, varies from game to game. The Animal Crossing series of games is well known for their chill, upbeat, and ambient music. The game is a relaxing, cute life sim and with very low stakes, and this music helps communicate that energy to the player. Boss music, on the other hand, is meant to invoke high energy and even higher stakes. 
It's a staple of the genre, and no good boss fight is complete without a good soundtrack. One of the best examples of this is the legendary Megalovania from the beloved and infinitely memed indie RPG Undertale, created by Toby Fox. Some developers have learned that, much like any other aspect of a game, the soundtrack can be responsive to the player's actions. Soundtracks like this are often called adaptive or dynamic soundtracks, and they're a clever way to capitalize on the interactivity that's so unique to art in this medium. Technically speaking, the term refers to features as simple as a different song playing when you enter battle, but some games get a lot more clever with it. The indie platformer Celeste already has a brilliant soundtrack that strikes the perfect tone for each level, from the spooky hotel to the victorious final stage. The interesting bit of interactivity it features is how the music changes when the player is underwater. It goes from the standard soundtrack to a muffled and slightly distorted version of it. This isn't super important from a gameplay standpoint. In fact, all of the water in the game is basically purely cosmetic. However, it's one of the many features of the game that helps the player feel like they're really in the experience. It doesn't even make much sense. The soundtrack obviously doesn't exist within the fiction of the game, but the player doesn't need to be thinking about that. And this bit of interactivity helps ensure that they don't. Perhaps one of the best examples of interactive soundtracks, though, is the use of music in the indie sandbox Untitled Goose Game. The game is a slapstick romp about causing chaos as a goose, and to fit that energy, the music works much like the music in an old silent film. The piano builds faux tension as you stealth around, spikes dramatically as you lunge to steal something, and then twinkles playfully as you run off with it, all without any clear transitions. The game's music is a version of classical composer Claude Debussy's Preludes, all readapted for this purpose by a composer named Dan Golden. Soundtracks are an aspect of games that often get overlooked, but if used well, they're an incredibly useful tool that developers have. Music is something that's hard to market in comparison to new graphics or game mechanics. It's seen as secondary to the quote-unquote real parts of the game. However, just like how Star Wars doesn't exist without John Williams, Final Fantasy doesn't exist without Nobuo Uematsu. Hopefully, as video games become more accepted as an artistic medium, the music will be appreciated appropriately too. Switching to sports, Nick Fredella provides us with a great preview of the NBA season, especially the budding superstars on the Chicago Bulls. Lonzo seems like the perfect point guard to play with Zach Levine with the fast break opportunities we have now. Showtime in Chicago. Yeah, and he's improved his jump shot a lot, I've heard. I've seen it in preseason. He's been pretty good. Yeah. And then the Bulls signed Alex Caruso for a four-year, $37 million. The absolute GOAT. You know, I don't know. I think that move is maybe to boost some sales. <laughs> a lot of jersey sales, that's for sure. Yeah, I mean, so what are your thoughts? What do you think the Bulls are going to do this season? Hopefully, uh, play, definitely a playoff team. I'm saying probably like fourth or fifth seed. Yeah, I say around four or five two. Maybe they can, hopefully they can win the first round, and then they're gonna get smoked probably by the Nets or the Bucks. 
Yeah, that's probably likely, but their goal for this year is to make the playoffs. If you would like to listen to the full version of this podcast, look in the description below. For another preview of a sports season, Tito Gavin gives us the breakdown of the way-too-early predictions for the NFL season. I think that the Rams could definitely take the take the division out of the Cardinals' hands. Yeah. I mean, only sitting one game behind them now, anything could happen. Mm-hmm. Um, it's definitely a tough division to predict, and it really hurts that they're in the same division, meaning that the second team in the NFC West is looking at the fifth seat. Right. I mean, that hurts their chances, and they're going to have to play through the not going to have a home game probably the rest of the way. Right, and that's super big, super big, especially in playoffs. Fans get loud, fans get rowdy, stadiums are packed, and home field advantage can really shake a game up. If you would like to listen to the full version of this podcast, look in the description below. For a football story that hits a little closer to home, sophomore Peter Nikolai was walking down the street in Chicago, and you'll never guess who he met. Story made by Jacob Siciliano and Nolan Hamilton. charms a suburban family. The Packers quarterback may be a rival on the field, but he recently gave that family of Bears fans a night they'll never forget. A Mount Prospect mother and son got quite the surprise when they ran into Packers quarterback Aaron Bears fan and her son are sharing their story of unexpectedly meeting a Packers superstar in downtown Chicago. Now of a chance encounter between a Packers star and a family from Chicago. That Bears fan was Peter Nichol now a sophomore at Prospect High School. On an ordinary day in November of 2017, Nickel decided that he was feeling festive and asked his mom if they could take a trip to the city. I think it was maybe a week before Thanksgiving break and that's when the Christmas lights started to go up down there. So it was kind of a random day, Saturday, and I had nothing going on. So I just loved going down to the city, taking the train. So I asked my mom if we could go down. She was like, yeah, I mean, we got nothing going on. Super spontaneous and random. So we just went down to the city. We were walking, I think, to Millennium Park to see the big tree and uh, the lights on Macy's. And uh, we just had a random corner. And I, that's when it all happened. What happened next was Nickel spotted an eerily familiar figure for Bears fans. But he couldn't be exactly sure until that figure came a little closer. We had a corner about to take a crosswalk. I checked behind me and I see a guy walking towards us about to cross the same crosswalk. And then I kind of turned back, and then I turned back again, I'm like, okay, wait, is that Aaron Rodgers? And then I say to my mom, it's Aaron Rodgers, and she's like, no, nah, I don't think so. She, and then he come, he's walking towards our crosswalk, and she's like, oh, that actually might be Aaron Rodgers. And then he walks past us, because he's crossing, we're not crossing, because we're just like looking at this guy. And my mom goes, are you? And she stops her because she is annoying, especially if it's not him. And he turns around, and he goes, I am. Nichols' mom worked up the courage to ask for a picture and went on their way not wanting to bug the superstar quarterback. But Nickel couldn't have been more wrong because after a few minutes, he saw that same hooded figure chasing after them. He keeps walking and he catches up to us. And then he's telling us that he's going to Mastro's Steakhouse. And he does this like every year. And I think he was kind of confused on where to go too. So 
we kind of walked him in that direction too. We probably just walked for like 25 minutes around the city and just talked. From their conversation alone, it would have been very difficult to tell that this 6'2 superstar was Aaron Rodgers because instead of focusing on the NFL or trying to convert this diehard Bears fan to become a cheesehead, Rodgers solely talked about Nichols' life, asking him from what his favorite vacation was to what sports he plays to even where his sister goes to elementary school. It was a really normal conversation, like he's like my cousin or a friend or something. Nickel then dropped off Rogers at Master's Steakhouse, marking the end of a magical moment with a larger-than-life figure. But Nickel had one regret. When he walked away to go to the steakhouse, I said to my mom, I was like, I wish I told him to say hi to Ty Montgomery for me. Because for some reason, I like Ty Montgomery. Do you guys remember Ty Montgomery? Yes, I do. I do. Yeah, yeah. Running back at the time, yeah. For some reason, I liked him. And, and then later that day, we go into Macy's on State Street because it's huge during Christmas time. And we're on like one of the top levels, some lady decked out in Packers gear, like to the max. And my mom like has to tell us, she's like, we just met Aaron Rodgers on the street walking in. And she's like, oh, that's cool. And, I, and she's like, oh yeah, I'm not that surprised. You probably are like, why? My son's on the Packers. And I'm like, who's your son? She's like, Ty Montgomery. And I'm like, there's no way. Like I just, well, I was just saying, I, I wish I, told him that I said hi, that you said hi to him for me, and I literally shot his mom, it was crazy. Nickel had come to the city for some holiday magic and found it in a team who had broken his heart countless times. But even though he's lived many Packers fans' dreams, Nickel stays true to his roots. I've been born into being a Bears fan, I've grown up watching the Bears, even though the Packers have like owned us for my lifetime. It's I mean, it's for, especially for how big of a sports fan I am, maybe for some other kids who don't like sports as much, but for how big of a sports fan I am and how big, I, like how much I like the Bears, it's not going to switch over that easy. Especially, like, I'm at Rogers, some kids will be like, well, it should be that easy. I mean, I'm this big of a sports fan, I like the Bears as much. Like, I'm, it's never going to switch over. I'm always going to be a Bears fan. Nickel continued to root against Rodgers and couldn't have been more thrilled when the Bears took the NFC North crown from the Packers in 2018. But it wasn't until recently in Aaron Rodgers' Week 6 pregame press conference where he recalled his time with a little boy and his mom four years prior that Nickel tipped his cap to the star quarterback. You know, when we played down there, I would, the night before, go on a long walk and often walk to, uh, uh, to dinner. Uh, Mastro's is where I went to dinner for years and years and years in a row. And on one of those walks, you know, a random mom and son, even though I'm all bundled up, you know, wearing a sweatshirt is freezing and a, you know, winter hat and stuff, they recognized me and we walked for, I don't know, four or five blocks together. So that was, that was a nice, uh, a nice chance meeting. But I've always, you know, enjoyed, uh, enjoyed the city. Um, enjoyed the fans even though they haven't really enjoyed me. So this is Wednesday night and I was just sitting in my basement and then uh, I got sent the video and I was just like going crazy and then my mom saw it and we were going crazy and uh, I was just like obviously I'm a huge Bears fan so I don't really like the Packers or Rodgers so I was like saying oh, like, I respect especially since he remembered it, it was four years ago. Nickel then tweeted out that he was the kid Rodgers was referring to and Nickel soon found himself on the nation's biggest stages appearing on ESPN, WGN, and Waddle and Sylvie Radio, just to name a few. Right when the WGN one happened, I was posted on ESPN, so I was like, my heart was going crazy. Like, I was posted on ESPN, my heart was going crazy. My friends were texting me. So during uh, that whole radio, I was just going crazy, and then the 
ESPN one, I'd say it was a more a little more chilled because I did the other one. And I mean, it's Waddle and Sylvia. I, I like them. They're they're pretty cool and funny. So I was a lot more laid back on that one. And like a ton of my friends, especially in Wisconsin, would ask me about it. Like ask me about Pankerson. Not at all. Like I'm still not. And if I'm being <laughs> honest, if I'm being honest, I like really didn't even like Rogers for the four years. What is it? Four years? Not four years after that. But it's the fact that he remembered it in the interview a few days ago really set my respect off for him, I'd say. While Nickel found himself starstruck that Rodgers remembered their chance encounter, Packers season ticket holder John Sabota wasn't surprised at all. However, he did say that Nickel got to live his dream. I'm jealous of him that he got to walk around with Aaron Rodgers in Chicago. If I had like a choice of one person to meet, I'd probably meet Aaron Rodgers and he got to do it. Nickel is extremely grateful for his one-of-a-kind counter with Rodgers and will always treasure those 30 minutes on a random Saturday night. But when it comes to Sundays, you can always count on Nickel rooting for the Bears. With Nolan Hamilton, this is Jacob Siciliano reporting for Rivals Podcast. so much for listening to Night Voices Episode 1. Come back next month for Night Voices Episode 2.